Our scripture reading this morning will be from Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 4 through 6. And if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, that's page 1039 in the Pew Bible. This reading is about the unity in the body of Christ. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, The ladies had a wonderful breakfast yesterday as they enjoyed fellowship together and also encouraged and challenged each other to be in fellowship and service throughout the year. And if you are a lady and were not able to make that appointment, be sure that you check with the ladies and there's ways for you to be involved this year. Let's all find our place and way to be involved. Let's be prayerful about the men that are being considered to be deacons. Uh, What a wonderful opportunity it is for us a church family to encourage them and to think about a tremendous opportunity of work that the Lord is placing before us over the next couple of years. Sunday... Seven days from now will be Missions Emphasis Sunday. It could very well be one of the most exciting Missions Emphasis Sundays that we've ever had. There will be an announcement about two things that are of great, great excitement. Things that the Mount Juliet Church of Christ have been blessed with opportunities and plans that are being made. Also, an elder from California, John Ed Clark, will be coming. Uh, His plane tickets are bought. His plans are made. And those across the brotherhood that know the kind of mission work that he's been involved in for the last 40 years say that he knows more about this kind of mission work than anybody in America. And we are excited to hear this man that really doesn't consider himself a preacher, but he is a tremendous man of God that preaches a tremendous, passionate message about mission work. Uh, Be sure that you're here. Be sure that you're prayerful about the day that good would be a part of it. We want to all know the mission work that we're involved in as a church. We want to all make sure that we're prayerful for all of our mission works. We want to make sure that we're involved in the mission works in the way that God would expect us to. We want to know about the opportunities to go on mission trips. We want to know the ways that we can contact our missionaries and encourage them. This is one day of the year where we strive to Let all of that be known and then encourage everybody to be involved in it. So be sure and be here. Be ready to be informed and be excited about being informed. And then let's let's leave Sunday with the mission to encourage our missionaries and be involved in mission work in every way that we have the opportunity. Options. Most people love options. Oh, there are many things that we could talk about as we thought and talked about options in life. Many of you that are football fans, you know that any time an offensive play has options in it, it multiplies the opportunities to succeed. In this particular plan, our 
uh, play that is on the board behind me here, you see that there are at least six offensive men that could advance the football there between the fullback, the quarterback, the tailback, or he can swing out and he can dump it to the tight end or to the receiver on the right side, the receiver on the left side. You see, even if the defense reads this plan, one defender makes a mistake, the option is there to advance the ball. When the ball is hiked, all of these options are in play. Or maybe you're more familiar with automobiles. Maybe you like the options that have to do with the comfort of the interior. Or maybe you like the navigation system. Or maybe you like the performance of the automobile. And if you and I were to go over to India and the car that was just announced this week that's going to take the place, they believe, of the scooter in India, it's a $2,500 car. No radio in the basic model. Not really a mini, much of a selection of colors. No air conditioning, the basic model. If you sit sideways in the back seat, you can put five people in this car. Now, most of us would drive that for a day and we'd say, I like my options. I'd like to have the automobile that I own and that I enjoy. Or we think about shopping. Some of you that are at least my age or older, do you remember the days whenever you went to one store to buy something and you got back in your automobile and you drove to another location, you got out of the car and you went into another store to buy something else? Oh, how shopping has changed. We're accustomed now to parking the car and going under one roof and we have options to shop, to eat, to be entertained. Are options always good? In the 1500s, Hernando Cortez made his way from Spain with 600 men to Mexico. Twice previously, Spanish colonies had tried to be established in Mexico, but they had failed. With only 600 men, he was able to conquer all of the Aztec warriors, being greatly outnumbered. How did he do it? As the story goes, whenever those 11 ships made it to the shore... He unloaded his men and had his men to unload all of the provisions and then commanded that all ships be burned. There was no option to retreat and run home. This morning, I'd like for you to realize that there are some things in life that we have options and, and they can be blessings. But I also need to realize that there are some things in life where there are no options and if God gives those things that do not have options and we decide to place options within those, we've greatly failed ourselves and our God and all those that are following our influence. We have just had so capably read for us a passage that I refer to, David Shannon's opinion, a hardest passage in all the Bible. Friends, we don't read three verses that are any tougher than these verses. Oh, I'm not saying they're hard to understand. They're probably some of the easiest verses in the Bible to understand. They're the hardest passages in the Bible to obey, or at least so it seems. You see, it is in these passages that the Lord teaches seven things and says, I'm not going to give you any options about these things. I'm going to require you to believe that these things are one as we think about our life in Christ and the teaching without options, I'd like for you to notice Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and verse 16 again. We were here last week. I'd like to mention it again. 
As we go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and verse 16, he speaks of the fact that the whole body joined and knit together, but what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, here it is, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When we look at these paragraphs, verse 1 through 16, that lead to what causes growth of the body, we studied last week that a humble attitude helps cause growth in the body. Today we'll talk about the doctrine that the Lord wants that causes growth in the body. Doctrine is important. The leadership and whether or not we'll follow that leadership is important if the Lord's church is to grow. Maturity, whether or not every member is willing to do their part in maturing. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of a church family where everybody is encouraging each other to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God? That's going to help us mature this year. What a blessing it is. But then also service. In verse 16 there, every member needs to do their work. Every member needs to do their part. And so over the next few weeks, we're talking about things that God talks about that causes growth in the body. So let's think about this doctrine, which by the way, the word doctrine simply means teaching. Let's think about the teaching that the Lord gives here that says this teaching is to create growth in the body. Look again at Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And as you see it on the screen, that is the exact passage there. I just placed some returns in there so each of the ones have their own line so that it emphasizes to us that there is. Now notice how it begins. There is. And then he gives us the one there, the one body, the one spirit the one hope you're calling, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God and Father. Now, as we look at this second slide, we see it in this sense with an emphasis on these two things. There is one. Now, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that there is one? That's exclusive. If there is only one, there's not two. That's not exactly easy for us here in the U.S. where we're so richly blessed with options in almost everything. Now, friends, again, I'll tell you from the beginning, I'm not saying that it's sin for you and I to have options in life about many things. But let's realize that it probably does give us challenges when we face things that do not have options. Do you remember your parents or grandparents that they lived in one house? They had one car. They didn't decide on Sunday morning which car we're going to take. They had one television, one radio, one job for 40 something years. I don't guess there's any of us here that knows life without options. We're so accustomed to moving and selecting and having options on work, on television, the number of stations, the number of channels, the number of televisions, one in the theater room, one in the den, one in the kitchen, one in each bedroom, one in the bathrooms, but we won't go there. Now, when we think about all the options that's laid out, and the Lord says, I want to talk with you about something that doesn't have options. And what is it? He says, I want to talk to you about your hope of your calling. 
There is only one hope for you and I to ever receive eternal life, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. There's not another way. Oh, what about those Eastern religions? They, many of them serve what we think of, the Almighty God. And, and surely if they want to reach God through Mohammed, or surely if they want to reach God through some other way, surely that's going to be all right. There is one hope of the calling. Friends, we didn't write this. We're listening to... God that wants to be our Lord, which means we submit to Him. And the question is, do I believe it? He says there's one faith. Faith is, notice he's not talking about each individual's personal faith. He's talking about the system of belief that comes out of the new covenant. In other words, why do you believe that it's wrong to murder? Because you read it in the new covenant, and when we obey that, that creates a life of faith that says, my conviction is that it's wrong to do that. Why are you here worshiping today? We read it in the new covenant, and it, it provides us with our system of belief that forms our faith. Friends, there's not, contrary to the religious world about us, there's not a multiplicities of faith. Well, which faith are you? Well, I'm of the such and such faith. Well, I'm of the such and such faith. Well, that's fine because all of us are trying to end up at the same place. Is it fine? When God says there is one faith, is it fine for me to stand around the water cooler tomorrow and say, oh, it, it's all right, we're all, we're all trying to go to the same place even though we have different faiths? Are we willing to look God in the eye and say, God, you understand, I, I just don't believe you. I know you say there is, but God, I say there's not. You understand, God, if we disagree on this. Is that the way we see God? Do we see Him as just another person that we bargain with, that we disagree with? God, we'll just have to agree to disagree on this. I think there's a lot of faiths because I know people in all kinds of faiths and they're good people. Do I believe God when He says there's one faith, one baptism? There's at least seven baptisms mentioned in the New Testament, but there's only one baptism that's a part of the teaching as it carries over into the New Testament and a part of the faith. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was never commanded, it was received, and that was already received in Acts 2 and Acts 10. The baptism of John had already been fulfilled before Jesus Christ ever died on the cross. Now, we hear people today talk about baptism, and one baptism is as good as another. Can it be? Now, I'm not saying what is your opinion. I'm saying if God says there's one, do we have the authority to say, no, no, you just pick whatever reason you want to be baptized, and that's fine. Can we say that? I tell you what, if you want your baptism to be the sprinkling of the infant, that's fine. If you want your baptism to be the sprinkling of an adult, that's fine. And by the way, neither of those are baptism because baptism means to immerse and we never see anyone sprinkled. It's never mentioned once in the Scriptures. It's never done once in the Scriptures. And so those aren't even baptism at all. Somebody else comes along and says, well, I was baptized after I was saved. Someone else says, I thought the Bible teaches that baptism is for the remission of sins. That's when the guilt of sin is taken away. And someone else says, well, it does, doesn't really matter as long as you're baptized. Oh, one baptism is as good as another. 
Well, friends, if you're baptized after you're saved, number one, that's never done in the Scriptures. We never see a saved person being baptized. But number two, now you go back to the one faith. There's a different doctrine out there of how to be saved. How are you going to be saved if the Scriptures teaches that baptism is for the remission of sins? How are you going to have sins to be remiss so that you can be saved, so that later on you can be baptized? Now we have different faiths and different baptisms. Now let's pause right here to make sure that we're real clear on this. I'm not suggesting that anyone here ought to believe something that I'm saying this morning because I'm saying it. I'm not saying that anyone here ought to believe something this morning because maybe there's other people in this room that believe it. Friends, you and I need to decide in our mind, do I really believe that God is the Almighty God and Jesus is the only Savior? And if so, am I willing to submit fully to everything that He asked of me? If the Lord says there's one hope, there's one faith, and there's one baptism, who am I to come behind Him and say, is not? I don't know, and I know kids today probably haven't because they have so much entertainment in their automobiles, they are entertained while they ride. But you know, back in the olden days, there was no entertainment in an automobile. And I remember many times sitting in the back of the automobile on a long trip with my sister. And you know, before long, a good argument was better than silence. And you know, before long, you'd look over and, and you know, she might say, did you see that? It didn't matter what it is. Did you see that cow? It's not a cow. It is. It's right there. It's not. It's two. It's not. It's two. It's not. It's two. It's not. And that goes on for about five minutes until your parents turn around and threatens your life. And, and you quit. But as silly as that is, friends, do you realize how many religious people are playing that game with God? God says there is one body. That's the church. God says there is one. I would guess most religious people today, maybe that's not an exaggeration, most religious people today would say, it's not God. Sorry, you missed that one, God. Oh yeah, there's a lot of churches, a lot of good churches. Just find you a good church to get involved in. One church is as good as another. God says, it's not. It's too, God. It's not. It's too, God. It's not. And you can play that game to judgment day. And God's going to have the final say. Friends, we live in a culture that doesn't take God seriously about His doctrine. We live in a culture that would just as soon look God in the eye and say, is not, as He says, is too. Someone says, preacher, that's bold. Friends, people that do that are bold. And you and I have to decide which way are we going to be bold. Are we going to be bold on the side of God or are we going to be bold fools that look God in the eye and say, you don't know what you're talking about, God. There's a lot of different faiths. There's a lot of different baptisms. There's a lot of different churches and they're great faiths, great baptisms, great churches. Don't tell me there's one. God says it in this way, in other words. However many Holy Spirits there are, there's that many hopes. 
however many Lord Jesus Christ there are, there's that many baptisms. How many God and fathers of all there are, there's that many faiths. There's one church. In these last few minutes we have, I'd like for you to turn with me to four passages quickly and note how serious this is. And let's make sure that we're on God's side in this. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Well, this was in our daily Bible reading this past week. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, we have verse chapter five, six, and seven is the beautiful passage that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives us some powerful teachings in Matthew 7 and 15 about what to beware of. As a matter of fact, that's the way verse 15 begins. Beware of false prophets. Would there really be people that would teach a prophet? Would there be people that teach the wrong thing? He says, beware of them. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. In other words, they're not going to come to you and say, hey, I want to teach you something that would pull you away from God. I'm a person that's been pulled away from God, and I want you to be pulled away from God. They're not going to do that. They're going to come as a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're going to come appearing to be a sheep. They're going to come appearing to give the teachings that a sheep or one that follows the great shepherd would teach. But the problem is, it's not true. They're hypocrites. And as a matter of fact, when we read further down, he gives his warning and it even says in 21, 22, and 23, which is not on the screen, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. Now you see, that's what doctrine is. When we do the will of the Father, what's the will of the Father? It's his teachings. What's his teaching? His doctrine. You ever heard someone say, Well, I don't think we ought to worry so much about doctrine. Let that sink in. You're saying we shouldn't worry so much about the will of God? That's what doctrine is. It's the will of God. It's the teaching of God. Yes, we should be concerned about the will of God, the doctrine of God. Here's some individuals that they cried out, Lord, Lord. In 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? These are very, very religious people. They've taught in the name of Jesus. They fought Satan in the name of Jesus. They've done many wonderful works in the name of Jesus. Now, what's Jesus going to say to them? Jesus says to them, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is this tied to? It's tied to the previous paragraph. What's the previous paragraph? Individuals that listen to false prophets. What's the warning to us? Just because I've been misled by false prophets does not excuse me. God is going to hold you and I accountable for what we believe. I can't hide behind the old excuse. Well, I was misled by my parents. Well, I was misled by my religious leaders. I was misled by my peer group, my neighbors. Friends, we read the Word of God and we submit our lives to the will of God and we can recognize what is true and what is false doctrine. Go, if you will, to Acts the 20th chapter. Paul, we're studying out of the book of Ephesians right now, and Paul meets with the elders of Ephesus in Acts the 20th chapter. He says to them, beginning at 29... He thinks that he's never going to see this group of elders in the church of Ephesus again. He spent three years with them. He loved them dearly. And he says in Acts 20 and 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, that's among the elders, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. You see how each time here the writing is about wolves? When I was young, uh, growing up on a farm, I loved animals. And one of the animals that we never had on the farm was sheep. And I knew my grandfather used to raise hundreds and thousands of sheep. And I would talk to him about it in hopes that I would get his interest up so he would raise sheep again. 
And each time, I don't know how many times growing up, I asked my granddad, I'd say, now tell me again why you quit raising sheep. The answer was always the same. I couldn't keep the pack of wild dogs out of the sheep. They always destroyed the crop. Friends, this analogy that Jesus used is one that has been since almost the beginning of time, and agriculturalists have understood it well. Sheep have an enemy of the dogs or the wolves. And here he's saying, we are God's sheep, and the wolves are the false teachers. And he's saying to the elders, I want you to do your part to protect the sheep and make sure that you never become one of the wolves. Turn, if you will, to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, he not only gives a warning to the elders, but he gives a warning to the preacher that is working at Ephesus. Timothy was working in Ephesus, and he writes to him in 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and it begins in verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times... Some will depart from the faith. Notice, that's the single faith again. The teaching of the the new covenant. Some are going to depart from that. And what are they going to do? They're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, things or teachings not of God. They're going to speak lies. That's the false teaching. And hypocrisy, they're not even going to believe sometimes what they're teaching. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. How can anyone teach a lie and know they're teaching a lie? Their conscience is seared. It doesn't bother them anymore. And then he tells some of the things they're going to teach, like forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created. And with this in mind, just flip over a few pages, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and we continue this same thought. He talks this time to the preachers and the members. Notice this in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. What is the answer? Preach the Word. You see, that's true doctrine. That's the will of God. Preach the Word. And be ready in season and out of season. In other words, do it all the time. What are we supposed to do with the doctrine of the Lord? We're to convince, we're to rebuke, we're to exhort with all long-suffering. It's not an aspect of a short-tempered and teaching. That's the word doctrine. Now notice what he says about the members. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now let's think about the church here at Ephesus. Paul writes to the elders of the church of Ephesus and he says, beware, guard the sheep. There's going to be wolves that try to destroy it. It may be some of you that rise up and be wolves. He writes to the preacher and he says, there's going to be some that want to depart. There's going to be some false doctrine that comes in preach the word and do it in season and out of season. Then he speaks about the members and he says, there's going to be some that they have itching ears. Where did this itching ears come from? Notice there he says it's from their own desire. In other words, it's I want to live like this and I want somebody to tell me that the way I'm living is perfectly fine. And so if someone's preaching the word and that's not what the itching ears are wanting to hear, they say, I'll just go over here and I'll find somebody that's saying what I want to hear. In so doing, what did Paul say they're doing? He says they're turning away from the truth. The truth is the doctrine of God. Friends, when we think about the opportunity that God gives us, the beauty of the doctrine that God gives us is that we can teach a truth that will take us home. Think about this. 2008, we hope to grow in number. But the numbers are only because of the souls. 
What if we grew in number as a congregation, but yet we didn't teach what the Lord taught? And the reality is, the population of heaven did not increase. We would have failed miserably. This morning, let's make sure that we love the doctrine of God. And that when the Lord says there is one, we submit humbly and say, Yes, Lord, there is one. I want to have that one hope. I want to have that one faith. I want to have that one baptism, and I want to be a part of your one body. I want the teaching that will take me home to my Father. A strong relationship on this earth with the Father, an eternal relationship with Him beyond this earth. This morning we extend the Lord's invitation. As a church family, we don't have any teachings of our own. We simply follow Christ and His covenant. In His covenant, He teaches that believers that are willing to repent of sins and willing to confess before men that Jesus is the Son of God should be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And it is then that they are added into Christ. If you've never done that this morning, won't you do that this morning, following the doctrine of our God? Maybe you have, along the way, been added to the body, and somewhere along the way, sin has separated you from the body. If you want to repent of that and confess that and come home this morning, we'd love to pray with you and for you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.